Okay, so today, very interesting, we have the response that God gives to the daughters of Zalafiad. Uh, <laughs> yesterday we had the question of what did Zalafiad do? What was his sin? Because his daughters, when they came to Moses and said, you know, our father died in the desert, but it was his by his own sin that he died. He didn't die among the masses of the people who were rebelling and questioning Moses and Israel and all of that. He was a good guy, basically. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing for them. He was a good guy. He had his own personal issues which for which he died. And we saw two opinions in Rashi, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon. One says he was the one who was gathering wood on the Shabbat. And the other says that he was one of those who wanted to go to Israel, even though God said it's too late. And he was killed in that battle. So they come to Moshe and they say, we want a portion in the land in, in his stead, right? So what, what does God respond? God says to Moses saying, Cain, if you know even a very elementary Ivrit, you know that Cain means yes. Cain, benoslavchad dovrot. Or as Rashi says, Cain, he quotes from the Unclus, from the Aramaic translation from the Targum, Cain, they're speaking correctly. Yaus, the daughters of Slavchad are speaking correctly. Nason titen lahem They should be given a portion of the land among the father, the, the father's brothers, and you shall pass the inheritance of their fathers to them. Now here Rashi will say, "Bahavarta" is a unusual expression. Rashi will comment on that. But first, let's look at, at, at the first Rashi. Rashi says, God says to Moses, this is how this parsha, how this passage, this law is written before me up on high. In other words, as Rashi says, that the eyes of the daughters of Tzalafchad, they were able to see what the eye of Moses was unable to see. It was when they came to Moses and said, hey, there are no sons over here. This should come to the daughters. And they had a, a complex legal reasoning and argument behind them. And Moshe said, I don't know. Let me go ask God. So they got it right. And God is telling Moses, Cain, they got it right. They got it exactly as the law is written up here. And so that's truly an amazing story where the daughters of Tzalafchad don't know anything about them, what was special about them. But for whatever reason, perhaps their great love of, of the land of Israel, when you're, when you're in the right path, when your heart is in the right place, then your mind can also get to things that even Moses, the great lawgiver, wouldn't, wouldn't have known. And as Rashi says in the next, in the next Rashi, their claim is just. Fortunate is the person whom the who, whose word the holy with whose word the holy one blessed is he concurs. How fortunate that God says yes, you're right. Wow. Okay. Now, why does it say vahavarta? You shall pass. You shall pass the inheritance. You shall transfer. Here in the English it says you shall transfer their father's inheritance to them and not give. Right, it uses an unusual expression. Vavarta, you shall transfer a pass. And Rashi says the reason for that is it teaches us that when a daughter 
inherits and then she marries somebody from another tribe, then that uh, inheritance is going to pass over to a different tribe. Verse 8. To the children of Israel, you shall say as follows. And here it gives the laws of inheritance. If a person dies and doesn't have a son, then that shall be transferred to his daughter. If he doesn't have a daughter, it should be given to his brothers. If he doesn't have brothers, it should go to his uncles. If, it does, if he doesn't have uncles, then it should go to the closest relative. And that shall be the law. Now we have the story of Moshe being told by God to go up to Mount Abarim, or in the Hebrew, Avarim, and look at the land that I've given to the land of Israel. Now, this is very important. You're going to get to look at the land, but you won't be able to get in there. Now, Rashi asks, why is this parsha juxtaposed? Why is, it, why is it placed here? Rashi says, because God had said, you shall certainly give them. He say, So Moshe is thinking to himself, God is telling me to be the one to, to give it to them. To, to, uh, to allocate the inheritance. Maybe now God has changed his mind and the decree against me that I wouldn't be able to go into the land of Israel has been rescinded. I will be able to go into the land. So God tells him, sorry, my decree is staying in its place, remains as is. Another explanation, because Moshe had already entered to the part on the other side of the Jordan, where the, the, the tribe of God and the tribe of Reuven, they had inherited the land on the other side of the Jordan. So he rejoiced, Samach. And he said, it seems to me that, that the promise or the vow that God took that I wouldn't go into the land of Israel has been permitted because I'm already basically in Israel. I'm on the other side of the Jordan. This is a place where the other tribes, two of the tribes are going to be dwelling uh, their permanent place. So looks like I'm allowed to go. Rashi gives an example, a metaphor. He says there was a king that decreed upon his son that he would not be able to enter the entrance of the palace. Now the king went into the, the gates and his son was following him. The father didn't say anything. He went into the courtyard and the son is following and still the king doesn't say anything. He goes in to the, to the, to the foyer. The king doesn't say anything. But once he comes to the inner chamber, now he turns around and he says, the, father, the king says, you cannot enter. So this is what's happening with Moshe, that Moshe is getting closer and closer to the land of Israel. And God is saying, didn't say anything. He's letting him come. So the child, Moshe, feels like, oh, maybe I will get able to get in. But God has to tell him, no, I'm, letting you getting, I'm letting, allowing you to get close, but not able to get into the land of Israel. Verse 13, you will see the land and you will pass away. And the biblical term, gather to your people, means to, be pa to pass away. Gamata, you also, just as your brother Aharon was gathered in, just as your brother Aaron passed away. Says Rashi, from here we derive that Moshe desired the death that Aaron had. As we, as we learned about Aaron, the beautiful way in which he passed, this very blissful divine kiss, and Moshe was witness to that. He said, I want that type of death. When I go, I want to go like that. Another explanation, Rashi says, you are not better than Aharon. 
And just as Aaron wasn't able to go into the land of Israel, you too will not be able to, to go into the land of Israel. Verse 14, Why is that? Because you disobeyed my command in the desert of Zin, with the famous story with hitting the rock. And therefore, you will not be able to go into the land of Israel. Now, Rashi addresses why does the Torah keep repeating? It's like, you know, rubbing it in every time. The reason you're not going in is because you, you hit the rock. Rashi explains it's not to beat Moshe and Aaron on the head. It's to the contrary. It's to say that the reason they did not go into the land of Israel was different from the rest of the people who had to die in the desert. There was a whole separate story, and you shouldn't malign Moshe and Aaron and lump them together with the, other, the others who, who were not allowed to go into the land of Israel. As Rashi uses the metaphor of two people who are, who are being punished, and one of them has done a, a really horrific crime, and the other one has done a very minor crime, but because they're together, people will associate one with the other and, and malign the one who has done a very minimal crime. You know, they've both been thrown into the same jail cell, but one is a real criminal and the other has, has transgressed a minor uh, infraction. You don't want to confuse the two. That's what's happening every time the Torah reminds us why Aaron and Moshe cannot go into the land of Israel. Verse 15. Here we have the beautiful story of Moshe telling God what to do, right? So this verse here, it looks very familiar. Moshe spoke to God saying, we're so used to that God spoke to Moses. All of a sudden, Moshe is telling God what to do. And before we get to what he asks, there's a you know, something that Rashi addresses is Lamor. Lamor, you have every time by God said to Moses saying, what does that word Lamor mean? It means that God is telling Moshe to say this to the Jewish people, to relay what I'm telling you to the Jewish people. However, if Moshe is speaking to God, what is he telling God? To relate to who? So Lamor here means something different than when it is usually used in the Torah. What does it mean? I'll jump to that, Rashi. God, I want you to answer me. I'm not going to ask you something. I'm going to ask you to appoint a leader for the Jewish people. And I want you to answer me. Are you going to do it or not? So Moshe, as you can see, has a pretty interesting relationship with God. Not only is he asking him to do things, but he's demanding an answer. Let's look at the first Rashi. Moshe speaks to God. This tells us the shvach, the praise of the tzaddikim, of the righteous, that when they leave the world, they, they leave, they abandon their own needs. And what are they busy with? They're busy with tzarchei tzibur, with the needs of the community. So here Moshe is dying. And what's on his mind, what's concerning him, the people, the community that he served, he wants to make sure that, that God is going to appoint a good leader for them to serve them after his passing. So what does he ask? He says, verse 16, may God appoint a, a person, a man, ish aloeda, upon the congregation. Now he refers to God in a unique way, yifkod Hashem, but then he calls him elokei haruchot, the God of the spirits of all flesh. Spirit here meaning character. As Rashi will explain, Rashi will explain that um, you know, leading a community, you've got to be able to deal with all different types of personalities. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says it. Why, is he, why does he call God Elokei Haruchot, the God of, of the spirits 
says Rashi, why does it say this? Because he says to God, Ribono Shel Olam, Master of the Universe, it's revealed to you that everybody, all of these people, they've got their own mind, they've got their own character, and they're, they're dissimilar one from another. So therefore, appoint a leader to lead them that will be able to tolerate each person according to his individual character. First Rashi, this Rashi here explains the connection between the story of the daughters of Tzlafchad and, and, and Moshe asking about appointing of a leader. It says, when Moshe heard that the inheritance of Tzlafchad is going to go to his daughters, he said, let me talk, let me think about my children, that they should inherit my position. And God said to him, also that is not what, that was not the idea that, that arose before me. Yehoshua, he is going to receive the reward of the fact that he served you and he never left, he never budged from the tent of study. And this is what Shlomo King Solomon says in Proverbs, the one who guards the fig tree shall eat its fruit. That refers to Joshua who guarded the fig tree, so to speak, that he was always there at the stud to study Torah. He was, nobody came before him. He always set up. And so now he's eat, eating the fruit of that. And he's going to be the next leader. Verse 17. And what is this leader going to do? Says Rosh, says, says Moshe, he will go forth before the Jewish people and will lead them out and bring them in. And the Jew and the and the congregation of God shall not be like tzon, like sheep, that does not have a shepherd. Says Rashi. This is not like the way of the kings of the nations. So they sit in their, in their homes and their palaces and they send out their soldiers to war. No, I want a leader that is going to be like me, that Moshe, that I myself, I went out and fought with Sichon and Og. And the way Yeshua, in fact, did it and also the way that David, King David, would, would do it in the future. Rashi says he was going to take them out to war through his merits, not only tactically as a military leader, but it's a person who has merit because of his good deeds and his good merit will be a protection for his people. Finally, Rashi says, he will bring them in. One of Rashi's interpretation of that is, unlike me, Moses, that I'm not going to be able to bring them into the land of Israel, appoint someone that will actually bring them in the land of Israel, not somebody who has to die before and pass them on to yet another leader. So we will, let me see how much longer we got over here. Let me see if I, I'll go through it very quickly. Just to finish this fourth Aliyah, verse 18, God says to Moses, I got the man. I got the perfect man for you. Take Yehoshua Binun. He's a person of, of spirit and you shall lean your hand upon him. Tell him that it's a great merit to be able to serve and lead the children of God. And he has all these characteristics that, that you asked about. And as Rashi says, what does it mean to place your hand upon him? What that means is appoint a meturgaman, a spokesperson for him to, so that he can hold forth, that he can speak to the public in your lifetime, in your presence. So that will tell the people that you are um, appointing him and that, that indeed he should be the next leader and should place him in front of Elazar the coin in front of the whole congregation and tell him about the Jewish people that they are difficult 
and give, give him a heads up that he that by accepting this leadership, he understands that this could be a difficult job, and that's what he's what he's getting into. And you shall place from your majesty upon him. Rashi will tell us, Mehodcha, from your majesty. In other words, not all of your majesty, as Rashi says. The shine, we're talking about the shine that, that Moshe was famous for, the shining of his face, the light coming from his face. Rashi tells us that the, from the Gemara that uh, the face of Moshe is compared to the sun and the face of Yeshua is compared to the moon. Moshe does as God commanded him and he gives even more than what God told him. God said, put your hand upon him, and God puts, and Moshe puts both of his hands upon him, and he fills him, he, as Rashi says, he made him like a vessel, a container that is full, and, and with wisdom, very generously, abundantly, as God had commanded him. And that concludes the fourth reading for today. We'll stop here and open it up to questions, comments, or anything else. L'chaim. I loved. These are some difficult people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shalom. <laughs> well, you know, I think they might have uh, they might have uh, patterned uh, Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof after Moses. You know, I mean, he was always <laughs> arguing with God. Why are you doing this? And what? So, right. But I had a, I asked for a clarification, maybe of. One thing, um, the uh, mentioning before that the the women who didn't follow the spies, you know, and saying that you know going against God's will and saying not to enter Israel, um, they were all saved. I mean, they they not all saved, but I mean, they didn't die in mass like like the men. And yet, how many of the men actually followed those spies? It didn't I, I don't think it was many, was it? Why did all of them have to have to perish? when many of them probably didn't agree. Is that right or is that not? Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, you know, it's a good point. Um, I think we, we do have this where, you know, there, there's a, you know, the, the entire, entire community can be held accountable even for the actions of less than all of them. And one way to look at it is, we all bear some responsibility for what's going on in our society. You know, we cannot say, "Oh, I'm good." It doesn't, you know, I'm I'm not affected by what's going on. In other words, there's something. Obviously, it's not as grave of a sin as a person who commits the crime, but the fact that I live in a society and this is going on, I bear some of that responsibility. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Good question. Rabbi? Yes. There are so many times that huge swaths of people, Jews, have been killed. Uh, going back to the ninth uh, plague of darkness when I think 80% of the Jews in Egypt were killed. Uh, the plague of the snakes where I think 24,000 people were killed. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many times in the Holocaust I mean, is this God's way? I mean, that he, he knows how things are going to evolve and there's a reason why those people are there at that time in our parish. Is that why, you know, good, bad things could happen to good people, etc.? Right. So in, in these, 
It's a great question. I think there's a distinction. I think that, you know, when the Torah says there was a plague for a very specific reason, a very specific sin, then we know, you know, exactly what was happening there. Um, but when you talk about the Holocaust, for example, it's hard to say that that came from any sin. You have many children who died. You have many good people. I mean, you know, 99.9%. I mean, maybe you can find some some. Um, you know, criminals who died there, but we're talking about good people who died in a horrific way. There, there, we. It's it's hard to say that there's some kind of a sin. That's where what you're saying that you know God knows we cannot understand God's ways, and we don't know the ultimate reason for all of these things. I think in the Torah where it does say, you know, they committed this and the sin, and you know, plague came forth. I think there the Torah is saying that. Um, you know, was kind of a, a cause and effect. Um, although, I guess, perhaps you're saying that there's also a deeper thing going on where God knows that this is, you know, this is what's best for these people at this point. And, of course, you know, everything, ultimately, everything from God is kindness. Everything is coming from a place of kindness and love. And so it's best for them at that point, um, in addition to the the idea of, of consequences of, of crime and punishment, that this is ultimately for the good of those people. Through their death, there's an atonement and so forth. Um, but yes, I, th I think that you're, you're on the right track there. Yeah, and, uh, another thing I was going to say that someone could be alive, maybe I heard this from you, someone could, could have lived for just a very short time, but maybe that was their purpose to come back just for that period of time. And then also when we look at these periods where horrible things have happened, they're always juxtaposed to great things. Like we were slaves, but then we were free. We had the Holocaust, but then we got our homeland back. Right, right. They, they definitely, I've, I've heard that said, and you do see that that pattern, uh, you know, rising from the ashes. Although, you know, as as much, um, you know, as much as we see that still, the kind of the horrific nature, particularly of the Holocaust, you know, is something that just remains beyond our ken. We'll, we'll have to wait for Mashiach to truly, you know, grasp what went on, what went on over there and throughout Jewish history. I just wanted to go back to something you said yesterday, Bruce, about the 300, 200 or 300 years that it took to settle the land. Um, I don't know if you got any more information about that, but I was thinking about it. And maybe what you're referring to is is till they you know took hundreds of years until they actually built the temple. Is that maybe what you were thinking of, or was it actually settling the land? Well, that's quite possibly it. I, I got that fact from a class with uh, David Porish. Okay. I wasn't sure what it meant. Okay. All right. Anything? That might be it. That might be it. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had they had a, a temporary tabernacle, you know, for you know here and there, and then it was it was semi uh permanent one in Shiloh, Shiloh, for, I think for three hundred sixty nine years before the the temple in Jerusalem was built. What if um, some of this to tie into what you and Bruce were just talking about with um, the you were making your point, Rabbi? What if uh, Hashem is is looking at this? He he always looks at things at a macro level, and even if we go to your your commentary in Perky Avot of the 
person who comes to the stream and and leaves his wallet and then the wrong person gets abused and the whole and i don't get that correctly and i always have to go back to it but that's moshe or that's um hashem looking at big picture it's the big picture and so if you know it, what happened there ended up saving 20 million people or 300 million or a billion people because of and Moshe's looking at it, you know, and those people all have, they're going to pay. It just didn't happen that, you know, it, it's a, it's a troubling thing, of course, but, and, and it's also troubling that and it never really is that great, but we don't get to see them pay for the most part. Right. And so that's, but that is probably our ego. So there's so many things tied in and we're supposed to manage our emotions. Right. Right. And so maybe there's a big picture type thing going on, you know, and no, so. absolutely. I mean, the example uh, the rabbi used to give often in the letters is, you know, if somebody were to come in on a surgery, but didn't really understand what was happening and just saw a bunch of people in white coats holding somebody down, tying them down and taking out knives and cutting them open. They didn't understand what was going on as far as the surgery. They would think this is, a, you know, this is a horrific, uh, cruel Thing that's going on that that's just an example of saying you know for us to try to understand what what what's going on we definitely don't have the full picture but i think i think the in the end what we're left with certainly the way the, the rebbe talked about the holocaust particularly is or any type of tragedy he was left with the pain of it you know the pain of it you know why and you know because we can never understand it and no matter what good things may come from it and so forth, we're always left with the question until Mashiach comes, couldn't God figure out a way to do it and get to that outcome that needs to be gotten to without, without all that pain, right? That's, so the question is something that for whatever reason has to remain. Well, Rabbi, to... Isn't, there, isn't there a delicate, very delicate balance here between uh, God's plan unfolding, God's control, in the, in, the, in the macrocosmic picture and free will because God gives free will and people can take horrible action with free will for power and whatever other reason they might. That's a very delicate balance. It seems. Right. That True. God's plan to True. free will, you know? Yes, this free will, exactly. Well, that's, that's part of it. That In order to get that outcome, there has to be free will and that comes with the risks. I see Bruce has your hand up. Yes, I think that uh, we don't understand it and we're uh, trying to deal with it. But maybe each of those uh, people that, for example, died in the Holocaust, maybe they got an immediate ticket to own a bar and that, you know, this world, this life is, is oh. really nothing compared to eternity. And so maybe that was the lesson. And we have to deal with that horrible, horrible thing to juxtapose all the beauty and greatness in the world. But maybe each of them in the long run immediately got went to own a bar. Absolutely. That's a great, it's an excellent point. In fact, even those who didn't die in the Holocaust, but were in the camps, you know, I remember my brother was telling me about how, you know, in the, in the Hasidic communities, um, where there were many Holocaust survivors in Williamsburg and Borough Park, when, you know, somebody passes away, if they've got that number on their arm. It's like, and they, they're preparing the, the dead for burial. You know, it's always done with a lot of reverence, et cetera, et cetera.
But if it's somebody with a, with a, with a number on their arm, this is like they're dealing with a saint, with a very righteous person, even though they didn't die in the Holocaust. But just having gone through that experience, they say, you know, these, these are the holiest of the holy. So certainly those who died in the Holocaust, yeah, 100%, Bruce, that's an excellent point. Maybe that oh, in Hebrew kedoshim, the holy ones, kedoshim, the kedoshim. That's what that's how they refer to the holy ones. And maybe it, if it prevents a worldwide nuclear war because of that experience, that would cost a, two, three billion people their lives. And this, you know, that could also be uh, Bruce. Your stuff was that was beautiful. It, um, because it isn't it all about whatever happens, we have to learn to overcome. And the best way to do that is to try and find, you know, a more of a positive message in that. It's always easy to make a negative thing more negative. It's right there in front of your eyes. But to be able to be strong enough to turn toward, we have to find a positive thing that, you know, um, to help us move forward. I think that's right. In any great suffering, I think we, we can't stay the same. We do move forward or we move backward. That's exactly, that's a great Yashikoa bill. Yeah. Wow. Excellently put. All right, gentlemen, we got, this got into a heavy discussion from, uh, <laughs> from Moshe, Moshe and the, the daughters of Slavchad. Well, it's been a wonderful week of Torah study of Parshas Pinchas. I hope you'll enjoy, or maybe you've already read the rest of it, 5, 6, and 7. And we'll pick it up again on Sunday with Parshas Matos. Thank you, Rabbi. Shalom.